0: Church, Happy Father's Day. You know, being a dad is something else. We often get accused of uh, not being sensitive enough. Um, I don't know if you've ever been accused of that, dads, but um, yeah, we're not often that mushy and that soft. Well, I am sometimes. I don't know about you. But I have been uh, accused of not being sensitive but I want to encourage you men um, in uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul kind of gives us uh, instruction about what it looks like to love as a mom and what it looks like to love as a dad and they're vastly different not wrong just different and it tells us that that women you know they're gentle and they they cherish and they give and they give and they give and and in verse 9 of chapter 2 it says this it says but you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does to his children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, dads, um, for the most part, dads work hard for their families. They give and they give and they give, you know. They, they, They might not be mushy. They might not be soft. They might be rough around the edges. But most men get up and they go to work each and every day. And some people, some men, they work their whole lives, you know. And oftentimes they're very, they're, they're not appreciated oftentimes. That's what they, ex, you know, you're expected to go do and right on, man. That's what we are expected to go do. But I just want to encourage you men that, you know what, um, we, we as men have been charged to labor and to toil night and day that we may not be a burden to any. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to go do. And most of us, in our jobs, we want to be blameless and devout and and, and just in the way we conduct ourselves. And oftentimes that looks like we're harsh, and we are. But that's what we're called to be at times. Not jerks, just harsh, <laughs> which is different than moms. And so we oft- often get a bum rap, but that's what men are supposed to be. <laughs> We don't expect the pats on the back, but I want to pat you on the back, you men. You're good men, man. You get up hard, you get, get up, and you go to work, and you work hard for your family, and right on. That's what you've been called to do. And I want to encourage you today, as we celebrate Father's Day, <laughs> that you would take that to heart. That even though you might not be sensitive, or be accused of not being sensitive, you will be able to. Just rejoice that God has called you to be a man, you know. Um, Again, if we were sensitive, we'd be called women, but we're not. We're called to be men. And so man up, be a man. Be a good father, be a good husband. That's what you've been called to do as well. Amen? Let me pray for you guys. God bless you. Father, we do pray for these men. Lord, we do honor them and thank you so much for their heart. That God, you would continue to give them wisdom and understanding, Lord. My heart and my prayer for these men is that they would desire to be men of God, godly men, men who read the book of Proverbs and learn from it, Lord, as we've been reading through it. That they would desire, Lord God, to gain wisdom and understanding from you, Lord, so that they can lead their families. They can be good husbands and good fathers, Lord, hard workers, Lord, those things that you've called them to be. Lord, give them a tender heart at times, Lord, when they need it, <laughs> but give them wisdom that they may be able to rule and, and reign in their family, that their family might look up to them, Lord God, and appreciate the things that they do for them. And so we do praise you and thank you, Father, for fathers, <laughs> and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are entering into Second Peter chapter 3 to make your way over. There, the last chapter of this short book, three chapters, but it certainly isn't the last study of this last chapter. We have at least two more studies left in this chapter, in this amazing book, Um, but again, Peter has been giving us instruction. He's been giving us direction. He's been giving us warning in this book. And he really doesn't ease up. He continues to, to take that into this chapter as well. And so I encourage you to read on ahead. But as I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, I thought about time. Time is, is something that we all want more of. We can't get enough of it, it seems like. <laughs> it always seems like we are running out of time, and yet it always seems to catch up with us. There's a saying that says, time marches on. (laughs) It continues to to move on. No matter what is happening in our lives, time marches on. I've heard it said that there was a a little boy who threw his clock out the window just to see time fly. (laughs) And even though time flies at times... There's another phrase that it says that it seemed like time stood still. And it really doesn't. <laughs> time never stands still, but there are situations in our lives where it often feels like you're in this surreal kind of time that everything's going slow motion, that things are just like not moving. And depending on the situation and what you're facing, sometimes it's, it seems like that, but it's never the case. Time always moves on. It doesn't stand still for anyone. It doesn't wait for anyone. If time is of the essence, then why is it that we waste so much time? (laughs) Time is always ticking away. And if you're not on time, you're late. One of the interesting things about time is that in this world, everything seems to be about time. Even before there was watches and even before there was clocks, there was always a way to measure or to, to figure out what time is it. You know, whether it was sundials or the sun or however it was that people t- told time, there was, there's always been a way to tell time in that sense. And I'm sure that from the very beginning of time, parents still had to tell their kids it's time for bed. Now even though God set time into motion as far as we understand time and everything runs on time, God is not subject to time. He is above time. He is out of time in that sense. As far as what time is to us, in other words, God doesn't wear a watch and He doesn't look at a clock. He doesn't have a clock in His throne room of grace there figuring out, oh, what time is it? He never has to worry about those kinds of things. He is not governed by time, nor is he restrained by time in any way, shape, or form. He sees it from beginning to end. Somehow he already knows it all. At the same time, he knows it all. This is, I think, sometimes really hard for us to comprehend that God doesn't go by our time clock. It's hard for us to fathom any kind of timetable that God is on because He's not on any kind of timetable. And even though God is out of time, He has, in times or at times, intervened in our lives, in people's lives, in humans' lives. Almost as a time out to kind of catch man or, or catch his attention. let us know that everything goes according to his timetable not ours and so time is always ticking away and time is ticking away right now if I don't move on I will run out of time but I really don't have time to worry about it because time is ticking anyways and before you know it there'll be time to leave and so it's time to get into his word 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 we will cover to verse 9 this morning i thought well let's see if we can get to verse 9 but i did and so we will verse 1 beloved i now write to you this second epistle in both of which i stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Going back to verse 1. Peter, as he's writing, and as he gets to the end of his letter here, as he gets to another paragraph, which is our first chapter, or our last chapter, the first verse here, he starts off by saying, Beloved. Calling his dear Christian brothers and sisters beloved, an endearing term, one that that meant that they were much loved. They were close to his heart. And I like the fact that throughout the letters of the New Testament, the word beloved is used oftentimes, many times it is is used, showing the tenderness and love from these apostles that are writing. Again, men aren't normally tender and loving in that sense, but we get a picture that in the New Testament, there is to be this love because Christ is love. Jesus showed us what love was all about. When you read John chapter 13, and it says that Jesus loved them to the end, He loved His people. And even though we may not be tender, we are still to love. And there are people in our lives that are are to be beloved in our lives. And we see that here. It's interesting because in both of Peter's letters, He uses the word beloved only eight times in both of the letters. Twice in the first letter he uses the word beloved. Once in chapter one of the second letter he uses the word beloved. And as he gets to this last chapter he uses the word beloved five different times in this chapter. Now Peter doesn't seem to be a mushy kind of guy, you know. Not like some of us. I'm very mushy in that sense. But is it possible? Could it be? Is, is there a probability that Peter, as he has gotten to the end of his letter, knowing that his time is almost up here on earth, that he really wanted to show and express how these people or how much these people really, really were close to him? knowing that he probably wouldn't write to them again. He wanted them to understand, perhaps, that they were very loved by him. He may have not said it often to them. He may have not showed it to them. But he's writing it, and in this last chapter, five different times he uses the word beloved. As Peter has already shared with us in chapter 1, He told us in chapter 1 that he would not stop remembering or reminding us, his readers, even us, of the things that God has already shared with him and told him. That he would be continuing to encourage those he's writing to and he would continue to warn the readers. He wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to ease up. And as he's finishing up this letter at the end, he once again wants to stir up the pure minds, by way of reminders. He's going to remind us once again. Now, if you are fairly new to Christ, if you're a new Christian, and you've started to read the Word of God, and you've never really read it before in your life, man, you begin to read it, and it's all new to you. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I know I was. I had never read it before, and I start reading it, and it was all new to me. But if you've been with the Lord for a little bit, and you've already been reading the Bible, every time you go back to read something, it serves as a reminder to you. There's nothing new. Even though you might read it anew, and you're going, I know I read this book before, but this time, man, oh man, there's so much more. It was there before. It's just now reminding you that it's still there. You've read it, read over it, maybe because you were in a different time, or a different place at the time that you read it, but... It will only serve from here on out to every one of us that, that, that read and are growing in the Lord. The Word of God serves as a reminder. And I have the privilege as your pastor to, to remind you what the Word of God says. I'm not making this. I'm not writing this out. I just remind you what the Word of God says. That's all I get to do. And so it serves as a reminder but if you're new to Christ you might be saying oh wow I've never heard that before but from here on out basically everything's a reminder and Peter is reminding us continually and he doesn't stop the words pure mind in first uh, pure minds in fir- verse 1 there does not mean clean minds that we have clean minds but but the phrase could be translated wholesome thinking. That it would be closer to say sincere minds. That he is stirring up sincere minds as reminders. The word sincere and the word pure go hand in hand in the Greek. And both of those words mean this in the Greek judged by sunlight that is tested as genuine kind of interesting because you think of the word pure and you don't think about sunlight or anything in that way but that's what it means the word pure and sincere means judged by sunlight the word the English word sincere comes from the Latin word sincerā. now I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it in Latin But I just pronounced it in Spanish. Sincera. (laughs) And the word sincera means without wax. In Spanish, the word wax is cera. Now, my parents are Spanish-speaking. I grew up speaking Spanish. But I don't know every word in Spanish. And I had no clue that the word wax is pronounced cera. Whenever I thought of wax, I thought of a candle. So I would just call it a vela. You know, una vela. Uh, I never thought, I never used the word. And so when I'm coming across this as I'm studying, I'm yelling to my wife, Honey, honey, did you know, what's a word for wax? Did you know the word for wax? And she's going, yeah, it's sera. It's like, how'd you know that? <laughs> I guess there's other, like, Mexicans that do know that. I didn't. I didn't know that word. And it's interesting because the word cera is wax, and the word seen is without. Without wax is what it means. And so when you're speaking Spanish, so you Spanish speakers, when you say somebody is sincero or sincera, to be sincere, you're saying they are without wax. (laughs) Eres muy sincera or eres muy sincero. Means to be without wax. And the word sincere means to be genuine, honest, trustworthy, or trustful. It means you have nothing to hide. And again, it's fascinating as I'm learning this, as I'm going over, you know, studying this, because there, there's something behind this whole thing. That apparently, pottery salesmen, back in the day, I don't know if they still do it today, pottery salesmen. If there was a crack in the pottery, they would use wax to cover up the pottery to show that there was no cracks. But there really was. And the only way that you can detect if it was pure, if it was sincere, is to hold it up to the sunlight. And then it would show you if there was any cracks filled in with with wax. And so if it was tested by sunlight, then it was sincere. It was sincera. <laughs> it didn't have any kind of wax in it, and so it was pure. And and again, he's trying to stir up our pure minds, our our sincere minds, that that, that our minds wouldn't be cracked up or covered up in any way, but that they would be sincere. I find it I found it fascinating. I hope you did too. <laughs> but Peter's aim was to stimulate the wholesome thinking of our minds by refreshing our memories see nothing has changed since he wrote this. He wants our memories to be stirred up continuously, reminding us what he's been reminding the people even that he wrote to he's reminding us today to have these mindful these the sincere mind the sincere mind that nothing has changed from back then. He says that you would be mindful of the words that were spoken by the holy prophets and the command of us, the apostles. That the words that the prophets and the apostles would be on the forefront of, of our minds, not in the back of our minds in that sense. Oh, I, I understand we need to have the word of God all over. But, and sometimes it's back here and then it comes to the forefront. But he wanted us to have these words that were spoken by the prophets and the apostles always on the frontlets of our mind. In a sense, what Peter is doing here when he's talking about the words of the prophets and the words of the apostles, he's kind of putting the apostles and the prophets on the same level. And in a sense, as I'm looking at this, he's talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament coming together. And the words that were spoken by the Old Testament and the New Testament people are now become our Word of God. (laughs) And he says, I want the Word of God to be in the forefront of your minds. It's important that we have the Word of God in the forefront, not in the back parts. (laughs) The Bible tells us, that the word of God is everything for us. We are to eat of the word of God. We are to meditate on the word. We, we are to have it burned in our hearts. We are to use the word of God as a lamp. We are to stand on the word of God. And we are to let the word of God dwell in us richly. It is vital that we have the word of God in the forefront of our minds. Because the importance, uh, uh, the, the importance behind it is because the Word of God is what gives us strength. The ability to stand. The Word of God gives us knowledge and it gives us wisdom. Again, as we're going through the book of Proverbs, it is the book of wisdom. And if we're reading it on a regular basis, and if you, you're going along with us this year, it should be the sixth time that you are now reading the book of Proverbs. And how much wisdom are you gaining because you're in the book of Proverbs? See, that's what the Word of God is for us. As we're reading it daily, it gives us the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding and the strength to 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 move forward, because the Word of God gives us the perspective, God's perspective on this world. It tells us the things of the world, the things that we need to battle out in the world. It shows us also not only God's perspective of the world, but it also shows us as men who we really are. And that we are in need of a Savior see, the Word of God shows us both sides of man. It shows us the good and the evil of man. It shows us the love and the hate. It shows us the pride and the humility of man. It gives us everything. The things that we are to remember are for our benefit. For the battles that we have to face day in and day out in the world. So the Word of God needs to be in the forefront of our minds. To, to, to battle this life that we have to battle in. We're not to suppress it and put it behind us back here. We're to, to put it in the forefront. We're not to forget the Word of God. The words that we are to be mindful of are to be used as our weapon of choice. You see, if you were going out to battle, if you are going out to war, you, 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 you want to have... Your weapon ready. <laughs> In Ephesians chapter six it says that the only offensive thing that we have when it talks about the armor of God is the, 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 the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is our weapon. And again, if we're headed out to war, you might forget some some insignificant kind of things, maybe like your underwear or something. But you're not gonna forget your 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 weapon. You could care less if you don't have undies for the next couple of weeks, but you will have your weapon and you will have your ammunition because that is more important than anything else. You're not going to forget the most important thing when you go off to battle. And that's what Peter is saying here, that you are to be mindful of these words that were spoken by the prophets, that were spoken by the apostles, because that is what is going to keep us alive, this Word of God. This is our weapon. And should be your weapon of choice. And so as he's saying, these things you need to be mindful of, and as he gets to verse 3, he says, knowing this first, "...that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts." Knowing this first, he says, (laughs) that scoffers will come. Along with being mindful of the words spoken by the prophets and the apostles, keeping those things in mind, he also says, but keep this in mind, scoffers will come. And a scoffer is one who takes lightly something that should be taken seriously. He is a mocker. He is a derailer or derider. He is a ridiculer. And by implication, he is a false teacher. A mocker is. A scoffer. A scoffer denies the Lord Jesus and he denies the return of Jesus. Jesus said that in the last days, mockers, scoffers will come On the scene. Paul warned us of them as well. And Peter is telling us don't forget this. (laughs) We should not be surprised when scoffers scoff. That's what he's telling us here. Don't be surprised at these guys knowing this first that scoffers will come on the scene, they will be there. You see, scoffers scoff because they're doing exactly what they are told to do by the world. To scoff. And so, too many Christians, I think, we get bent out of shape when the world is doing their thing. And I'm here to encourage you, don't be shocked, don't be surprised when scoffers scoff or mockers mock because that is what they're told to do. That is what's in them. We're not to get into the flesh with them when they're scoffing. We need to be able to have thick skin as Christians. Why? Because we're being reminded by the Word of God that scoffers will come. You shouldn't be surprised that they will do that. I'm not saying that we need to like scoffers that scoff. I'm not saying that we need to put up with them. There's times to debate them and battle them. But don't be surprised about them. That is what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be scoffing. We shouldn't be shocked. We've been told about this. This is why it's important to know the Word of God so that we're reminded of this stuff. So whenever somebody is mocking, whenever somebody is scoffing, that you're not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's like, wait a minute, God's told us already through His Word that they would be doing this. This is what Romans 12:19 says. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, God's a big boy. He could he could handle scoffers. He could handle mockers. Why? Because he knows that that's what they're going to do. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. Again, there's times when, when we will confront them. And I'm not here to make light of what the world does. I just know what the world is supposed to be doing. I've read the book. <laughs> I'm not shocked by them. I'm not shocked when, when, when scoffers come against the church. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm not shocked or surprised when they mock Jesus and they come against them and they make movies against them. I'm not shocked by all that stuff. Do I like it? No. But I am not the one that will repay them. God will. God is the one that will take care of it in the end. You see, they will do what they will do. I just need to be mindful of what the world does and not be scared of the world. Not be shocked by the world. You see, God has all the power. And God will not be made a mockery of. Nobody can make a mockery of God. You see, here they might mock him day in and day out, but when we all stand before the judgment seat of God, guess what? Nobody is going to mock God. He will have the last say, final, punto, done. A lot of Spanish lingo today. He will repay. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry that, that these people are coming against God. I, I I know who God is. I know His power. And I'm not afraid of what the world can do to us. Because it will not suppress the church. It will continue to grow. And so when scoffers scoff and mockers mock, they are doing what they are supposed to do. Because they are walking after or according to their own lusts and desires. In the examples that we saw last week, Moses had, or not Moses, Noah had his scoffers. For 120 years he was building an ark and people were coming against him the whole time and he continued to be a preacher of righteousness. I'm sure his heart went out to these people, but they continued to mock. He continued to share. That's all he could do. And when it was time, he walked into the boat, and God closed the door, and God dealt with the mockers. When we we, uh, learned about Sodom and Gomorrah, there was mockers there. (laughs) When the angels came on the scene, they they continued to mock. God gave them time. We had Abraham outside the city praying for this place, and they continued to mock. judgment came i'm sure they were they were laughing about the fire and brimstone if the angels told them hey judgment is coming or if lot kind of warned them it's like yeah you crazy little christian you jesus said that scoffers would come he had his own scoffers in his day and there is no difference today we continue to have scoffers and why do scoffers scoff and mockers mock i believe because they want to continue in their sin you see if they know the word of god they're either going to conform to the word of god or they will mock the word of god and they mock the word of god so they don't have to feel the responsibility of having been convicted by the word of god and so they make fun of it they make fun of his people because they don't want the responsibility And oftentimes, they're not serious about hell and about judgment. It it reminds me of that song. I I don't remember the name of it, but it said something like that that he didn't believe that there was any heaven, but he prayed there wasn't no hell. And it's almost like, man, people know that there's a judgment coming, but man, they make fun of it and they'll, they'll do whatever they can to suppress that. And they will make fun of everything else. Because they don't want to get serious. And so from verses four through seven, they they, they are mocking, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For from uh, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, for this they willfully forget. For this they willfully forget. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, if God is real, then why doesn't He, or why does He allow this or that to happen? Or if He's real, why hasn't He done something ab- or to stop this thing or that thing? And again, I think oftentimes these scoffers, these these people who are ridiculing, are, 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 are trying to bring God down to their level, to their timetable, saying, God should have done something by now. And they don't quite comprehend God's timing at all. Scoffers scoff and mockers mock. And in fact, there's been some so-called Christians who have, who have been disillusioned because God didn't come back in their timetable. Walking with the Lord for 30-some years, man, I've seen people on fire for Jesus. Man, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and now where are they at? You see, they, they, they've become mockers themselves, some of them, scoffers. Because God never came back in their timetable. They expected Him to come back. And yet they, they, they left, showing their true colors in the sense, becoming mockers themselves not understanding what the Word of God says, that God doesn't work in our timetable. <clears throat> these mockers, these these scoffers, they, they laugh at Christians because they've been saying that Jesus is coming for hundreds, even thousands of years, and yet Christians are still here. And so they continue to mock. Those who scoff, Say things like, well, nothing cataclysmic has happened all over the world at one time, so if it hasn't happened in the past, it's never going to happen in the future. And just because scoffers will scoff that things will not happen in the future doesn't mean that it's true. I will believe what the Word of God says instead of anything that a scoffer says. Just ask past scoffers who have been judged already. <laughs> Those who, who scoffed at Noah. I don't think they're scoffing anymore. Those from Sodom and Gomorrah, they're not scoffing. But it says that they willfully forget. These these scoffers, they go back to the forefathers saying that nothing has happened from the beginning of creation. And they willfully forget that there was a flood. <laughs> That it really did happen. But they'll put that and suppress that. They forget that God, the Creator, is also God the Judge. And He will judge. And the amazing contrast that I saw here is, as I was reading this portion here is that scoffers willfully forget, and yet believers are to be mindful and always remembering. Remembering. And Peter reminds us about how God created the waters and how He used the waters for judgment. And God has also created fire. And He has reserved the earth for judgment with fire. We'll look at that a little bit more next week. But God has used fire in in judgment in the past. Again, we looked at it at in Sodom and Gomorrah. He used fire and brimstone to destroy this place. We see that one of his prophets, the prophet Elijah, loved to play with fire. And he called fire down from heaven. When, when he challenged the prophets of Baal, he called fire down from heaven so that it, it lit up his sacrifice and burned it to a crisp. He wasn't afraid to call fire down from heaven, and and that was in in Second uh, Kings chapter chapter eighteen. But in or First Kings chapter eighteen, Second Kings one, there was another time that that one of the kings was sending out his people to go inquire of another prophet of Baal. And Elijah says, "What well, isn't there a prophet here in Israel that you can consult with?" And he sends these guys back and says, Hey, tell that king, man, that he's going to die. That this sickness will be of death. And so when that king says, Well, go bring, bring this man of God. It must be, it's Elijah. Go bring him back. And so he sends a captain with 50. And Elijah is up on a, on a mountain or a little hill up there. And the guy says, Hey, Elijah, man of God, come down and go with us. He says, Hey, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you and the 50. Bam, It happens. So he sends another 50, another captain with 50, and the guy says, hey, man of God, come on down. He says, hey, if I'm a man of God, let fire fall down from heaven and consume you guys. Bam, it happened the second time. The third captain that goes with, with the 50 says, um, can you spare my life? I know that, man, you can call fire down from heaven. The king just wants to talk to you. <laughs> Why don't you come on down? <laughs> Please re- regard my life. See, God's not afraid of playing with fire, man. He is the all-consuming fire. And He is not to be trifled with. Just like the scoffers of old, there are scoffers today who laugh at the judgment to come. Who make fun of you and I, you know, as Christians. You bunch of nuts, you bunch of loonies. You guys are crazy. You believe all this stuff that the Bible says that judgment is coming. And yet, these same scoffers today have their own prophets of doom. They're scientists, they're professors, their politicians who say that man is capable of destroying this earth. And man is not capable of destroying this earth. He cannot destroy this earth. Man cannot. Oh, we might mess up certain parts of it. <laughs> but only God can destroy this earth. He's the only one that has that kind of power. And these scientists and prophets and even politicians have their own religion of global warming, thinking that man is that powerful. And they don't. They can't. Listen, if the Bible says that the heavens and the earth are preserved by fire, I will take that to the bank and you can take that to the bank. It will not ha- if it doesn't happen in our timing, it will happen because God holds His word above His name. Verses nine, eight and nine, where it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Once again Peter appeals to his readers. To remember, to be mindful, to not forget. Don't be like the scoffers who willfully forget. No, keep this in the forefront of your mind. In essence, Peter is wanting the believers to understand that God's timing is not like our timing. Here he's quoting Psalm 90 verse 4 where it says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night. You see, God is never in a hurry. He's never late. He is not compelled by time, but He is always on time. We measure time by time. And if God were to measure time, it would be measured by eternity because there is no time with God. Our time is limited, but God cannot be limited by time. He cannot work in our timetable, yet, that is the only way we can measure Him by our time. And so, when we do see Him work in our lives, in our timetable, it really isn't, it's His timetable. So because we really don't understand His timetable, I think we limit God. We limit God because when we do that, we think that He doesn't care because He didn't work in our time frame. And we often think like, man, Lord, why didn't You come through? And yet He doesn't work in our time frame. And He does care about us. The context that is here, that we're looking at, It's not about our time and when God can do this or do those things. No, what they are mocking at is the promise of his coming and of his judgment that will ensue and follow. That's what they mock. But Peter tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is not slack. This is the way the Amplified puts verse 9. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy, or slow about his promises. According to some people's concept of slowness. But he is long suffering. Extraordinarily patient towards you. Not desiring that any should perish. But that all should turn to repentance. We judge God by our timetable. The time is not of the essence with God. People misinterpret long-suffering, the long-suffering of God with slackness or Him being late or Him not being able to come through. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, His long-suffering is for our salvation. As it says in verse 15 of this chapter, because He's not willing that any should perish. We don't preach or teach universal salvation here. We understand that not everybody will be saved. But God does not will or does not want anybody to perish. But He knows that they will. Now false teachers will give you that. They will say that, no, no, everybody will be in. It's like, that's a lie. It's not true. Even though God doesn't want any to perish, He knows that not all in fact most will not come to him. Jesus said this in Matthew 7:13 and 14, "Enter by the narrow gate: for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it; because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it." Many of us are grateful for salvation but it's only because of his long-suffering. You see, if he would have come 35 years ago, (laughs) I wouldn't have been saved. I would have been doomed. And yet, because of his long-sufferings, I got saved. And many of you in that time frame have have gotten saved. Many of you, a year ago, if you would have come come a year ago, you wouldn't have been here. You wouldn't have been saved. And so he continues to be long-suffering. We, we, we don't know what his time frame is. But we are living in the last days. And people will continue to scoff and they will continue to mock. But they've been doing that for 2,000 years. But we are 2,000 years closer than we were when the promise was said here with Peter. And I will stand with the prophets and I will stand with the apostles. I will not believe what these mockers and these scoffers say (laughs) because I know what the Word of God says, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He is not slack. He will come through all the time. His long-suffering produces salvation, not just for me, but for those who have already come to Him. And His long-suffering today is being offered for you for salvation. If you want it, it's there. We're going to have people up here in a little while as we sing the last song. If you need that salvation, He's been waiting for you. He's been long-suffering for you so that you can come and know Him. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father in Heaven, as we do come before You, we truly, Lord God, just want to bless You and thank You, Lord, for Your righteousness. For Your promise, Lord God, that You will come back one day, Lord. Father, I know that for you, Lord God, it's only been a couple of days. Lord, there's, there's no slack in, in you at all, Lord. As some, man, some men count slackness. You're so merciful. Your grace is abounding. That you're so long-suffering that you will wait for others to come. And Father, I do pray that if there's anybody here this morning that needs salvation, that this morning they would understand how much you've been waiting for them that they might come to you. And so Lord, please, I ask that you would do that work right now. And I just want to give you that opportunity this morning as you as Christians are praying right now. If there's anybody here that needs salvation, God has been waiting for you. He brought you here today so that today you can receive Him. He's long-suffering. He will wait but nobody's promised tomorrow. So maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Well, I know that. <laughs> and so if that's you, is there anybody here who will just raise your hand and say, I, I need salvation today? God has been waiting for me. Is there anybody? I want to give you that opportunity. I don't want to rush through this because God doesn't mind waiting. Is there anyone? Father, then with that, I just want to praise you and thank you, Lord God, for these who who know you. And I pray that, God, they would be mindful of the things that that your word says, reminding them, Lord God, that, Lord, you are patient, you're good, you waited for them. Lord, that they would be mindful of of the world, that they would be out there, Lord God, ministering to those who are scoffers and mockers, that they would be able to minister to them. That they too might come to know you because you're long suffering even to, towards them. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless.